Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Quake Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone! Quake Cooper is the man! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. look at that. Joey knew what to do straight away. So, obviously, we've got Mitch's dulcet tones. How are you, Mitch? Fantastic. Good to be here. Good to have you here, mate. And that other voice in the background is Joe Hoey from Brumby's Twitter and our fantasy draft competition fame. How are you, Joe? I'm good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure, mate. So, if you listen to last week's episode, you would know that Rev is officially now on paternity leave from the pod. Um, no news yet, but we can simply say that he's not getting paid by us for this leave um, and he <laughs> will hopefully, I don't know, actually, it depends how some of our guests go over the next few weeks to Ooh. see whether he has his job for him when he comes Ooh. back. I know we're meant to by government standards, but I mean, we are our own government, so we can do what we want. Um, but look, Joe, you're new to the pod, mate. The listeners, I don't really know you, so I've got a few questions I want to ask you just to start things off. A couple of these you've already seen. A couple of them you've got no idea what's coming your way. <laughs> so let's let's test to see whether you're a true rugby fan and whether or not people should actually listen to what you have to say. How does that sound? Sounds good. Fire away. All right. Uh, firstly, why the Brumbies, mate? Why the Brumbies? Why? It's a good question. Because uh, I grew up in Dubbo, so <laughs> there's no good reason to support the Brumbies growing up in Dubbo. <laughs> um, I guess it's primarily because I moved down here for uni and I'd mean growing up without a strong affiliation to a super rugby team because uh, it was behind that glorious paywall that is Foxtel. I was pretty just, I was always happy when an Australian team won. So it didn't really bother me all that much. I was all about the Wallabies. And yeah. as long as the Aussie teams were doing all right, I wasn't concerned. So I moved down here for uni and got the opportunity to go to GIO week in, week out. So fell in love with the boys. I mean, I already liked a lot of their players anyway, naturally, because, <laughs> yep. you know, lots of they good players. Winners. Yeah, they were winners. They yeah had a lot of the guys and uh, a lot of wallabies running around. So got to head out there every week back when we drew a crowd over 10,000. Um, over 6,000. Yep. <laughs> we cracked night. We cracked eight and a half on Friday night. Hey, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. just kept going there and then went through the lull of the Galacticos and through the Jake White era. 
<laughs> right. That that was a pretty interesting era. So, <sighs> I mean, if we cast our minds back, not it's not really that far, but you've had some pretty incredible open sides at the Brumbies. Who's your favourite, George Smith or David Pocock? It's a tough one. Uh, but it has to be Smithy. It's... He's to be. He's always the goat, second rower. Yeah. I mean, even the Kiwis would have to admit he's probably the best that's been. I mean, Richie couldn't put in grubber kicks like George could. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's George Smith. Like, Pocock's incredible, great at the breakdown and everything, but George Smith's all-around game. He yeah, was sure. just – he was the best player on the field week in, now, week out in a team that included Larkham, Gregan – Mortlock, Finnegan, so. And Pocock didn't have the uh, the dreads that George Smith had. In no. fact, he had the opposite, didn't he? Yeah. Got yeah. rid of all his hair. Yeah, and I mean, and Smith looks like the rest of us. Like, he's achieve- he seemed achievable. <laughs> you watch him <laughs> yeah, play and you're true. like, yeah, that guy looks like, you know, the guys, you know, regular people. It looks like they're like looks- running on for yeah. second grade. Yeah, exactly. Pocock. <laughs> Adonis, not a, it's not fair. And I mean, now, I love I love David. I see him bump, bumping around the inner north of Canberra all the time, but it's not you know he's yeah. not Smithy, unfortunately. More importantly, and you can choose to abstain from this question if you want, but you're going to be voting for Dave Pocock in the Senate elections. Yeah, yeah, we get to oh, uh, vote good. for David. Yeah, vote one, David Pocock. Vote one for David Pocock. Anyway, um, Jesse Mulga, Tom Banks. Uh that is tough because I think. Banks, he's probably had the better Brumbies career. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time out at GIO in 2012 and 2013 freezing my backside off watching Jesse Mogg kick the ball relentlessly mm-hmm. um, under Jake Whiteball. And so I'm going to pick the Moggy man. The Moggy man. Yeah. Good call. I'm seeing a bit of a generational shift here. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, yeah, the Lions game. That was just... Yeah. Well, that, that actually thing. takes me perfectly to the question <laughs> that I was going to ask to prove that you were a fan. Okay, so you didn't know this one. Yeah. Um, who was the captain of the victorious Brumby side when they defeated the British and Irish Lions in 2013? That is a good question. I actually can't remember who the captain was, <laughs> and I was there. Was it Kimlin? It I was want... Peter. Yeah, Kimlin. good. Very well done. Um, I'm well, just picturing the redhead. Or the redhead. Oh, there was. It was like 15, 13 or something like that. There was Very nothing close. in it. Very yeah, close. 14, 16, 12. 14, 12, yeah. 14, 12. Yeah. Well done. All right. You've proven your credentials, mate. Oh. You can hang around. We're not going to beat you <laughs> off the pod for this week. So, Mitch, why don't you take us through the, our social platforms and where people can find us? Fantastic. Well, we're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And then we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby so please do get involved there and give us a like a follow or a retweet legend thanks so much and again thank you to all of our supporters who've got involved so far on coffee and sent us some money that we can use to put back into the podcast we really appreciate all the donations that have come in so far so please go to coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby that is ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby mitch super brews yellow cap Let's not talk about your place or my place on the ladder. Let's purely look or at my those. Place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 yeah, we won't. Um, I don't think I can even so, find my place on the ladder. It's that far down. Yeah, I can't scroll down far enough. Yeah. My mouse wheel broke. Yeah. Um, but why don't you take us through who right. actually well, is doing Yellow well? Yellow Cat this week goes to SDC, who takes out the the round. So round five on seven point zero eight points. We then had Mero in second place on six point eight three points. 
followed by Hugh Tyndall, which I'm is a, a big personality friend on Twitter. Of the pod friend of the pod, big personality on rugby Twitter. So do give him a like and a follow on, on Twitter as well. But he comes in third on 6.75 points, which is great to have Hugh's involvement in the uh, tipping comp this year. And if we look at the overall score of how things are shaping up on the table, we've got Elte in first place on 28.25 points. We've had Kieran Ando in second place, who's gone up nine places this round on 28 points, who is currently sharing that spot with David Eskey, who has gone up 10 places into third, um, also on 28 points. Awesome. So what the, we're going to be covering this week is the SuperW round three, followed up by the round five review of Super Rugby Pacific. And the Wallabies, uh, I'm not sure if it's a pony squad, but the Wallabies squad announcement that happened on Sunday. And for the locker room that we would normally do at the end, we're going to be integrating that into the regular segments just to help with the flow a little bit for this week. So gentlemen, you ready to jump on into things? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. This weekend led to the third round of the Super W competition, and we saw some absolutely huge results from two of the matches, as well as a very tightly fought win in the third. So let's start off with that one. The Brumbies women's, despite leading going into the half again for the second week in a row, let their lead slip and the Reds were able to get up 15 to 10. Following that match, we then had the Fijiana Ndrua versus the Western Force and the Ndrua continued their statement or the, the Fijiana Ndrua continued their statement or the, um, the stamp that they're making upon this competition with a comprehensive 45 to 17 win. Although to the credit of the force and like genuinely they won the second half seven, uh, 17 to nil, or they definitely, they won the second half because the Fiji on it and drew up, didn't score any points at all in that second half. So that's a really big um, recovery by mm. the force women. Well done. And then the New South Wales Waratahs women got over the rebels 67 to 10 in the final match of the weekend in a, very very comprehensive victory so why don't we start off with the brummies and the reds and why don't we start off with joe you were actually literally on the ground for part of this match or at least for the start of this game uh what were some of your key takeaways from this match being in the crowd uh it's great game like really great game it was a uh, bit of a you know sort of in the feeling of the uh boys later later on that night and from last year brumbies got out to a pretty great start uh, got on the board first, I think, with Rebecca Smythe going over from a rolling mall in typical Brumbies fashion. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, they started building a lot of good continuity and phase play early on from the Brumbies girls. And then they are, and then Queensland, as they do, just start chipping away, chipping away. A um, couple of good pick and drive. And I think it was pick and drive tries from their tight head prop, whose name is Liz escaping. Liz yeah, Liz Partu. Yeah. So very much in the same vain as the men's um yeah it was but it was a great game um probably of all the women's games i've been able to see this year the two most evenly matched teams i think um from mm. go to woe some just great backline play i think the brumbies back three are pretty phenomenal um jemima mccallman's just been amazing this yeah season. she's she's fantastic, fantastic. To watch. and i think the best thing about them is they sort of interchange positions. They mm. all sort of jump in in different spots. Um, I know Lillianne Mason Spice pops up in the centres a lot. Um, Ella Ryan finds herself out on the wing from time to time. 
just from watching. So like that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's great. They've been yeah, phenomenal. Brilliant. Well, why don't we shift across after? Just that. make a point. Uh, how good yeah, yeah, is the in. Queensland women's team? The Indigenous strip that they wear. Oh, oh my gosh! Pops. Yeah, it's fantastic. One of the best yeah. jerseys. I think that was the fire. first thing I said. I was like, "Oh, that's the best jersey. Why don't why don't they play in that all the time?" Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wish that um, a lot of the teams. I know the Force do it, and they've mm. integrated an Indigenous pattern into their uh, regular strip. I wish that the other teams would do that. And just not make it something that is um, just like a one match event within yeah. the calendar, but actually just have it a consistent representative part of their DNA as a club, um, having that Indigenous representation in there. I mean, the only downside is you don't get to flog another jersey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The commercial reality is if you've got a third jersey that you can wear one off, then they sponsor they auction those off they make some money off that or they mm. they then sell those like i know the waratahs for example have an indigenous strip coming up in the next few weeks which they've been spruiking at the games which looks really good and different to what they've won in the past but like you said previously Ando, i think it would be a great initiative by rugby australia particularly to bring in some kind of um rule that the away strips for all of the super australian super rugby sides had to have some kind of indigenous influence that would be fantastic to see yeah, that'd be sweet. Anyway, let's carry on. Uh, the okay. next match for the weekend was the Fijiana and Drua versus the Western Force. As mentioned before, the Indrua got out to uh, 45 points in the first half before the Force were able to claw a little bit of that back, but still went down 45 to 17. Um, Mitch, what do you have to say about the entrance of the Fijiana and Drua into this competition? Are they going to run away and win the whole thing? Or like, what's an Australian team going to have to do to try and stop them? Yeah, they're really gone from strength to strength in this, these first few weeks and they don't look like slowing down so far. And as, as you did say previously, the Western Force women did do really well to win the second half battle, but by then the game was nearly out of reach for them and they just didn't weren't able to score enough points to get back and close to the, the score that the Fijiana and Drua have had put on. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how the Waratahs women go in the next few weeks. I think it's next week or the week after that that, that top of the table clash goes ahead. But at the moment, they just look a skill above across the park compared to the other teams in Super W this year. Um, whether that's through the influence of the Sevens players that are playing for Fijiana and Drua or the the fact that they've got more capped internationals playing for one team where we're spread that talent across. Um, it's it's great to have that, them in the competition because it, it does raise the level and and it will force the other teams to pull their socks up a little bit to be able to compete with them. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not quite sure how that that game against New South Wales will go or who will take it out. It is technically a Fijiana in Drua home game, so they'll probably have a lot of vocal fans there cheering them on, which could be the difference. It'll well, be it's a... in Queensland, so you know yeah. they'll have the, the neutrals on side as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a very good point. Well, why don't we shift across to the Waratahs versus the Rebels, which was a 67-10 to 10 win to the Tars. Congratulations. And there were some absolutely dominant performances from some individuals, obviously a team performance, but Mahalia Murphy scoring five tries. Her little in-and-out step to beat the covering or the wing defender is just incredible. She did it for at least two of her tries, and then on the third one, instead of stepping back out again, she just cut straight in and ran through everybody. I think that was for maybe number four. Um, it was just an absolutely dominant performance from the New South Wales fullback. Uh, but there were some other standouts within that game. Joe, who did you rate particularly, either from the Rebels or the Tars? 
I'm just here for the front row of scoring 60 meter tries. That's <laughs> even Kamani. Amen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Thank you. And can we have some more, please? That's yeah, it was Bridie O'Gorman last week who yeah. we did um, we neglect that. to mention. Yes. So apologies, Bridie. But also Eva Kapani's run this week. And the thing is, like, she outpaced yeah. most of the outside backs. Admittedly, they had to catch up because she was running straight. They had to turn and chase. But yeah. even when at full speed, they were matching and couldn't catch her. She had some absolute gas. You could see when she got to the line, she was like, I'm done. <laughs> but as a Ando, front maybe row we need to, to bring off. in something to rival Mork's big hit list on uh, Rugby Heaven and bring in a, the best run by a prop in the Super W this year and see who makes it. Yeah, well, we've got I mean, two I've, fantastic contenders so far. Yeah, I don't I've think got, it just has to be Super W. I think you could do it across the whole comp and we could do it across still the whole be comp, one and right. two at the moment. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, I've got that. The, the run this week by Eva Kapani up there is number one. Uh, the fact mm. that she went 60 metres and, as you said, Ando, did outpace everyone to score the try was fantastic. And wasn't that one in the draw's first game yep. up against the yep. Rebels in the sunny coast? Yep. There yep. was a front row scoring a 40-metre yeah. try as well. It's like, yeah. And, um, we've, I mean, because you've had players like uh, Billy Pollard get a little bit of space on the wing, but it's been maybe 20 or 30 metres of space and then they haven't been able to finish it off. Whereas in these women's matches, they've been able to just absolutely palm off or outpace or step the covering defence and just blow past them. So it's been wonderful to watch. Um, but really, that kind of leads us to the the key matchup, which is going to be coming up soon on the 1st of April between the Waratahs and the Fijiana and Drua. And this is going to be the top of the table clash because the... Um, Fijiana and Drua are currently three from three. Uh, same with the Waratahs women with the Drua with a better for and against of 104 to 88. So, I mean, it's pretty close overall, both being pretty dominant. And for me, the point of difference within this game is going to be the physicality of the outside backs of the Fijiana and Drua. And I'm just not confident that the, honestly, smaller Tars women are going to be able to make their tackles stick and prevent the offloads by getting some dominant tackles. I just think that they um, might have a bit of pace on them, might have a bit more structure in their approach. But if the Fijiana women get that, or the Fijiana get that, get that um, space and time outside and get a couple of offloads away, they're going to be near impossible to stop. Mitch? Yeah, and I think the Waratahs will need to keep it in tight and go to set-piece and focus on set-piece and know that they have a really strong set-piece to start from, but they need to take that up to the next level. And if they can keep it in tight and win the battle at the set-piece, win penalties through scrums, win their line-outs, um, keep the scoreboard ticking over, that's how they can keep uh, the Fijiana Drua lower on the scoreboard. If they let, as you said again, if they let the, the wider backs run free with the ball... They probably don't have the size or um, maybe, yeah, mostly the size to, to really stop them and, and to compete in that element. So keep it in tight. Let the forwards rumble all day long and uh, let's keep it that way. One other thing we do need to say is friend of the pod, Sarah Nagama, was back this week for the uh, New South Wales Waratahs women. Back from injury, which was great to see her back and playing for the Waratahs again. Yeah, coming came off the bench and seemed to have a few good involvements from what I saw. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Uh, Joe, any quick comments before we move on? 
No, no, I think we've covered it. That was good. All good. So round four will be a competition by, which means that the next match will be that Fijiana and Drua versus New South Wales Waratahs. Friday the 1st of April, the ground at this point in time is to be confirmed, but it will be a home game for Fijiana. I did so... hear something on Twitter around it being held at Seabus Stadium on the Gold Coast. Okay. So yeah, cool. I don't know if that's officially confirmed or just a rumour, but... Is it a double header? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be cool. So then following up from there, you've got the Queensland Reds versus Melbourne Rebels, which will be a great match on the 2nd of April, which is a doubleheader. And then Sunday, 3rd of April, Brumbies versus the Western Force at Viking Park. So make sure you get out to that one, Joe. That's close to you, mate. Um, So... All right, so why don't we now finish up and move on to... Well, we do have one question that's come in from Craig Bowers. Oh, we do. Thank you for the reminder. So I'll take this, Ando. You've forgotten about it, but it is a great question. This is It is a good question. How we're doing the locker room this week. We're just going to insert the the comments into the relevant sections. So Craig asks, thoughts on merging the New Zealand and Oz women's rugby comps and playing the same schedule as Super Rugby Pacific and as double headers. What are your thoughts around this? Uh, I'll go to Joe first. I think it's a great idea should be a full home and away season mm. full-time athletes getting full-time pay would be that's the dream i'd also like to see a full-time reserve grade comp as well for mm. the guys and have three games on um yeah make it happen that'd be fantastic just throw the money yeah. at it just yeah throw the money. yeah just do it Silver Lake, whoever else get involved yeah. get them involved that's what yeah get some cash at that yeah Definitely. I think the part of the challenge has been, and we spoke to Sarah Nagama about this last year, where um, there's a kind of belief that the women's competition um, is capable of standing on its own two feet in mm. terms of the quality of the comp, and it doesn't kind of need to be tacked onto the men's competition as a bit of an afterthought. Um, and so I, I really do agree and understand that. For me personally, as a fan, firstly, of the men's game, and then from that, being kind of exposed to the women's game and really enjoying it and trying to follow as much as I can. I like the double headers mm. because I don't have time to be able to get out yeah. to two games. Yep. So if I can get out on the one kind of block of time on the weekend and watch both the women and the men at that same time, uh, I will be able to more effectively support the women. And so I would really, really like that. But there is that challenge um, of number one, well, the season's not long enough. At this point in time, um, there need and there needs to be that balance because a lot of the women just can't be available for mm. an extended season because they're not professional. That's right. So they have jobs and they have other commitments that are taking them away from the requirements of a full season of Super Rugby. So there, there's a fair few challenges there. So I personally would like it, although I understand the perspective that some people have that it should be its own separate competition and not seen as an afterthought to the men's. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's there's still a lot of water to go under that bridge about yeah. when mm-hmm. we can actually merge those two competitions because in New Zealand, this is the first year that they've had a full-on Super uh, Super W type competition. I'm, the name escapes me, and I'm probably butchered. Uh, Altiki. Yeah, Alpiki. I think it is something like that. But um, yeah, again, probably butchered it. But this is the first year they've used that or had that formal competition for the women in New Zealand. And even I mean, then, that's... it's not all five Super Rugby conference conferences represented. Yeah. There's only four teams, and I think the Crusaders and the Highlanders have merged into one team. Um, so yeah, the Ma- Ma- Matatu. Matatu. Or... Just... Two Aussies on that team as well. Michaela Michaela Leonard and, yeah, I'm probably getting her name wrong. Sorry. (laughs) But, yeah, yeah. and and that's another point as well. Like, if we can get this competition up and running and we can have players freely traded across both countries to be able to compete, 
that definitely strengthens the women's game as opposed to what the men are able to do at the moment. If we can have our Wallaroos going over and playing in New Zealand and playing for the New Zealand sides, getting some of the knowledge from them, conversely, they come over here and, and strengthen the women's sides over here and, and it really will strengthen both the players um, on both sides of the, the Tasman there. Mm-hmm. So that's something that hopefully could could happen. There might not necessarily be that hard set sort of political ingrain that we do find in the in the men's game at the moment. Yep. All right. Why don't we shift on now into round five of the Super Rugby Pacific Comp? Awesome. Let's go. Let's get into our round five review for the men's game for Super Rugby Pacific. Now, let's we need to start off here because at the the way the, the table is currently sitting, we do have three Australian teams up the top. We have the Brumbies in first place, <laughs> the Queensland Reds in second place, and the Waratahs in third place. Now, I don't want any Kiwi fans jumping on and jumping down our necks and saying, "But you've played less game. You've played more games than us. We've played less games. It, it doesn't matter. Just look at the it scoreboard, mate. Just, Just look, look at, at the scoreboard." scoreboard. Look Just at the table. Stop the count now. Stop the count. Just stop it now. There. <laughs> Let's do this. Um, we won't even bother going down and see who, where the other teams are. We've got the, the three best teams up the top, and uh, that'll do. So let's move into the results for the weekend. I'll quickly run through the results, and then we'll dive into each game in a little more detail. So we had the Indrua hosting the Western Force at Leichhardt Oval. They did unfortunately go down twenty to eighteen. So the Force did come away with a victory there. We then went down to GIO Stadium or the nation's capital to have the Brumbies and the Reds. The Brumbies did come away with that victory, 16-12. to 12. We then moved across to the worst game in... Well, not the worst game in Australia, but the worst venue in Australia to host rugby, and that was the Waratahs versus the Rebels at the SCG. The Waratahs did come away with a victory in that game, 24-19. to 19. And then across the ditch, we only had one game, which was Moana Pacifica versus the Chiefs. Moana Pacifica, unfortunately, did go down this one in a 59-12 to 12 point drumming to the Chiefs. Let's go back to the beginning of the round and we'll look at the Drew Up versus Western Force game. I'll throw this first question to you, Ando. Did you think that the Drew Up deserved to lose this game? Yeah, that's a weird... Like, it's a good question, but it's a weird one to answer mm. because I don't think that... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or should I, I ask think, it in a more positive way and say, did the Western Force deserve to win this? Look, I think the Force would be pleased that they pulled this game out of the bag. Um, I think that the Drew are very unlucky, but at the same time, the Force were pretty poor across a fair few aspects of their game, mm-hmm. particularly in terms of their handling and at various points, just their defensive integrity. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the line breaks that they conceded were just really weak. Like at one point for the um, final try for the Drua, they just cut straight between Kunzul and... Um, and 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 Richard Kahui straight and barely either of them got a hand on that was that Radatave try right where he just straightens yeah. up in attack he and just, just straightens straight up and he goes straight and I'm like guys like you, you know, what? <laughs> what what's happening here Kahui yep. you're meant to be awesome you're, you're the silver fox um and only forty like <laughs> give him a <laughs> I, 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 I probably. Yeah, He's but I'd, in probably wave, I'd probably wave him through as well. So and those missed tackles <laughs> add up, so yeah. I need him. Yeah. Um, but he, look, in saying that, you just you expect defensive integrity to be a, a hallmark of this force team. And at a few key moments, they were just poor in terms of um, they're kicking out for touch, their like clearance kicks for their final try, that one I was just talking about, that actually came off the back of a Jake Strawn kick that just went straight down the throat of the... Um, 
the back three. I think it was the winger for the Andrua. And then they passed it wide and then just straightened and went straight through. And it, look, there was just moments where I thought the force were not as good as they need to be. So I guess the force were lucky and the Andrua were unlucky is my long-winded rambling answer to that question. Yeah. What were your thoughts around that, Joe? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, the Andrua are exciting and they were maybe unlucky. At the same time, their discipline at times mm. lets them down a bit and kind of typically while I think they're getting better at the set piece stuff like the force just sort of fell back on that that points to you know they kind of realize well, we don't want to get into this sort of a game against yeah. them and chat talking it about so um yeah it's difficult I, I mean the scoreboard also doesn't often lie does it mm. you know mm-hmm. if you give away a penalty late in the game in front, like you're going to yeah. lose. So, and, and, and it was a pretty stupid penalty as well. Yeah, and that wasn't an easy kick either. So they, yeah, he did. That no, wasn't in front. Sorry, I'm probably not giving Bailey the credit he deserves. But, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's one of those games. It was a fun watch on a Saturday afternoon. Um, it's a good little crowd in as well. So yeah, it was good. And uh, last week, uh, Tim Sampson was pretty, pretty honest with the way the team played, and and Felicity Kaitu as well was pretty um, open about that. Across the board, they just weren't up and weren't up to scratch and didn't put in the yeah. effort that they were speaking about in the week, but also that they they should have in that game. So, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I they've been underwhelming. I think yeah. the force this year. I was sort of expecting them to kick on from last year. They've recruited well. They've picked up some new guys. Like yeah, they've added a bit of class, I suppose, mm. to sort of help finish things off. And they seem to have gone backwards a little bit if the very least they've stagnated, like they've just stopped um, is what it feels like anyway. Yeah. yeah. And look, in speaking with that, we, we, we spoke in the preseason about how some of the challenges that the force had was actually had a very significant amount of backline turnover. Yeah. Um, and so when we've been talking this whole season about the fact that their attack isn't particularly effective and then need to improve that, or that there's issues with defensive integrity, like you look at the missed tackle count for them Um Ralston missed one, Kahui missed four, Kunzel missed one, Mattielli missed three, McIntyre missed two prior to. And it's only you then get to Lloyd and Katu who then miss a couple before you're back out into the backs again uh, with Pasatoa missing two. So it's just a demonstration that um, their, their wide channel defence isn't particularly effective. And I actually personally haven't rated Kunzel's return I think that um, I think that Kahui is better at twelve than he has been at thirteen, yep. or he's better with Godwin inside of him than yep. he has been. Um, I don't think the Kunzul and Kahui axis is working particularly effectively at twelve and thirteen at the moment. I think Goodwin's had a bad night against the Reds as well, so yep. he's yeah. not exactly lighting it on fire either. I don't know. Bailey's young and. While he feels like he's probably been around for a couple of years now, he's not played all that much yeah. starting footy um, and big minutes, I suppose. He's like he filled that bench role for the Brumbies as the backup sort of 10, 12 for them and got, you know, 20 minutes a game sort of stuff. But he didn't, you know, get a lot of minutes playing. So I think, you know, growing pains of a young player, I suppose, you got to put that down yeah. to. Um, yeah in his defense, I suppose. But yeah, it's just, I just don't, yeah. I think everyone was excited for the force and hoping that they'd kick on a bit. Mm. I know I was. I was thinking, oh, if they go as well as you think they're going to, well, you know, they might split the games against the 
top like I was kind of expecting them to maybe beat the Rebels and the Tars both times and maybe split a game against the Brumbies or the Reds. Yep. Um, and I don't know that they're going to do that now. Yeah, they so. sort of feel like at the moment that they've got a lot of young guys that they've recruited in the offseason who are very talented but don't have the experience to really seal yep. games out or, or know what to do in the big minutes of games. Yet yeah, then on the other side of that, they've got experienced players who are probably a little bit past their prime. Mm-hmm. Ala, Richard Kahui, yeah. Ian Pryor, not saying they're not quite up to super rugby level anymore, but they're not um, They're not quite able to do or to turn games and, and yeah. to shift things back in the forces' favour. And so they've kind of got that middle ground missing at the moment. I wonder yeah. if they're just now, now that they've, they're still sort of hanging on, they got the victory this week, they're getting bonus point defeats and things. They picked that bonus point up against the Tars last year. But this year really now becomes a work in progress of let's get these young guys the experience. Let's get them uh, settled and, and familiar with Super Rugby at the moment. Let's not chop and change. Let's just give yeah. them the, the starts and let's just push through that. We'll bring the players off the bench when we need to to try and seal games off. Um, probably something that the force are doing better in, in regards to the Melbourne Rebels. Yeah, I have no argument with that. That's a yeah, very good point. <laughs> any, yeah. Any um, other thoughts around this game, or shall we just move into the the game of the round? I'm happy to move on because I got a few comments about some of the force players that I think can wait until we do the Wallabies yep. chat. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, the next game was the game of the round. It was played at GIO Stadium in Canberra. It was the Brumbies versus the Reds, the Super Rugby AU final for the last two years, repeated for 2022. Now the victory did go to the Brumbies, 16 to 12. You were there. Joe, so we'll start with you. Was this game what you were kind of expecting going in? Not a relatively high-scoring game, pretty attritional. Uh, were you impressed with the Brumbies and that they came away with the victory at the end there? I was impressed with parts of the Brumbies. Yep. It felt, I suppose, I was kind of hoping for the, ideally you'd get this sort of the first game they played last year, the same sort of a counter. Like, I think that was a better quality game of rugby. The everything just sort of clicked a bit better both yeah. for both teams they were crisper in attack and stuff like that this felt like oh maybe a pre-covid derby game where it was just like we just want to win but they didn't care about how they got the win and it was just on for young and old um and that's sort of what it felt like i was impressed with parts of the game yeah like i said but a lot of it was yeah it was pretty scrappy and it was very stop start um but it was fun like i'm glad we got the i'm glad the yeah. Brumbies got the win, and some of the guys really stood up. Uh, Nick Frost had an absolute stormer of a game. Um, oh, even I mean, it's probably underrated part, but Scott Co really stood up coming off the bench. Five meter scrum up against Tong and Thor. Everyone, I think, in the stadiums having flashbacks to the grand final last year, <laughs> and you're like, we're in huge yeah, trouble here. This is it. This is it. And like we, you know, he held up, no penalty. They knock it on, and then we secure our own ball. Sami was very calm at the back of that scrum and did a very good job of regathering it because it was starting to it was starting to rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, got the win. Uh, who else was good? Oh, I was terrified when Noah went off though. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. saw him go off, and I remember saying to the person who was sitting next to me, "I think I'm like I think we're in big trouble here. This is uh, this is going to be a struggle." And it was from then on. It that's. Yeah, I think from that was like the forty-fifth minute. I feel like maybe. Yeah. That was when the Brumbies lost a lot of their 
continuity a bit, mm-hmm. whatever continuity they did have. Like they were looking pretty good in patches, I think, before that. So, And we spoke about that, I guess, in the preseason for the Brumbies, yeah. that Noah is the, the 10 for the Brumbies at the yeah. moment. They've got Rod Ayuna as the replacement who can come on and, and do a service, but you really want him to be coming on and sealing game and finishing games off when you're clear by 20 points. Like he, he's not a bad player by any means, but he just doesn't have the super rugby experience that even a player like Noel Alessio has now. Um, what happens now? We don't, we haven't, uh, as time of recording, I, don't I, know. I personally has... haven't heard how long Noah is out if he is. Yeah, no, neither have I. I don't know. I'm really hoping it's uh, at worst a week. I hope so it's not a synosmosis four to six are because I so, think that could be trouble. Yeah. So do you think then that they start uh, Iona next week or do they start making shifting players around from the centres? Uh, there was uh, talks that I read somewhere that I think a, a Brumby fan was suggesting that you bring Chris Fayway Sortia into the centres and you push um, Iray Simone to 10, even though he hasn't played a lot there or any Super Rugby there, he may be better than Rod Iona. I think there's a lot of crazy ideas going around. Um, <laughs> I think I've seen like Nick White to 10 or Mog to 10 or all sorts of stuff purely on the fact that both can kick a ball. Um, yeah. <laughs> just kick uh, it. Yeah, just kick it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they play the fourth, this, the force this weekend. If Noah's not fit, I assume they're going to go with Rod. Yeah. He's yeah. a, he is a fly half. Yeah. Um, Less change is better. I'd rather they don't shuffle the whole back line yeah. just to cover one loss, like plug him in and hope that the rest can sort of lift him up to mm-hmm. the level and make his job simple. Like yeah. all he has to do is yep. do his his tasks and everyone else will take care of the rest. Um, well, what you would do is in, in that situation, if Noah is out for any extended period of time, yeah, sure, you put Iona in there because it, it makes sense. He's a fly half. Um, but you just tell Nick White, you're the distributor. Yeah. From now on, you're the man that is guiding the team around the park completely and utterly. You go All Blacks um, 2011. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Play, play nine and a half, Nick, and you're yep. running the show. Yeah. Yep, without a shadow of doubt. Oh, I and mean, I think I that... I don't hate that idea of, of shifting Nick White to 10 and bringing on Ryan Lonigan <laughs> for nine. Just yeah, to see yeah, what start I just want to start one again. Well, I can tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a hell of a lot of traffic trying to find Nick White. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, no, I, I assume they're going to go with Iona um, at 10 if Noah's not available. Um, and mm. I just got all fingers and toes crossed that it's not for too long. Yeah, exactly. Now, Ando, if we flip the coin and we look at the Reds, going into this fixture, they had a lot of their star power. Uh, on the bench or not even available through injury. So we've got Luke Hans, Salakailo. So we did have their captain come back this week, uh, Liam Wright. Liam Wright, yep. But there still is a lot of players. Tate McDermott, for example, is another one who is not available for them this week. We did speak last week that that might have been the deciding factor. Were you a bit surprised coming into maybe the 75th minute when the Reds were still so close um, and the game was kind of still there for the taking and they were really punching and pushing for the victory. Were you surprised how close they did come to the Brumbies? I was really surprised with the, um, yeah, the quality of their forward play, particularly within this game. Um, the scrum was an absolute lottery that was just a waste of time for all involved. Um, I, I kind of just wished that um, Damon Murphy had had, it was Damon Murphy, right? 
um, had had his chat with the front rows about 30 minutes before he did. And just said, just cut it out. He was just play so some grumpy. Rugby. Come on, just play some so rugby. Grumpy. And I loved it. Um, but the fact that Xander, Nasser and Tupo were able to stand up against Slipper, Fainga and Alan Alatoa, that was a really yeah. impressive performance. I think a lot of it does, does go down to Tupo and I think it does go down to a little bit of gamesmanship um, by the Reds front row to just be a little bit tricky and to make it so that um, they were doing whatever dark arts it was to destabilize the scrum and make it a non-effective platform for the Brumbies. Uh, when by all accounts, they should have got smashed yeah. in the scrum battle this week, I but they didn't. was impressed with their more work. Their defensive yeah. more was phenomenal. Yeah. Sarah Uru was just destroying it at times. It was really messy at, at the back there for the Brumbies a couple of times. And that's yeah. one of the things that's probably a theme this year for the Brumbies is that in years gone past, it would be if they had got a five meter scrum, uh, a five meter line out. Sorry, they would it's score a try. A try. Teams a try. just did not know how to dismember yeah. that more. Well, but I mean, year... is that is that the trading of knowledge at Wallabies camp? Mm, you know, maybe. you've got you've got guys now playing for the other teams who have been coached by Dan McKellar. They're playing in like in mauling units with those guys. Are they learning? You know, well, this is. I mean, there's no coincidence that good mauling teams also have good defensive mauls. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, there's got to be a reason why Darcy Swain's so good at destroying them is because, mm. you know, he practices against a good one. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. It was interesting. I was def it's definitely been frustrating. It's an odd name. Um, I mean, it'd help if Falau could actually hit a target as well. Oh, I mean, he's not the only one. There's so many yeah, boys in Australian rugby at the moment who just don't seem to be able to throw a line out straight. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess if uh, there's one of... big thing that has come out of this game that was announced today is that Taniela Tupu has been cited for that clear out. Uh, from memory, what a joke. it was about the 35 minute. Uh, yeah. Or Jerome. Jerome. I can't remember. Jerome, Jerome got smashed. But look, he's got his head below his hips. His arms are literally on the ground. They're not on a ball. Tupu comes in. And shoulder to shoulder clears out. Might have might have clipped the head on the way through. Might have, um, but goes basically shoulder to shoulder. Gets under him and like pops him off the ball with the force of the clear out. I'd, what else are you kind of meant to do with the, the front on tackle? The only, you're not meant to go down the side. He kind of left his feet though. Mm. Is yeah, the only thing yeah, that I think yeah. they'd probably like say, "Oh, that's reckless. That's reckless. Not like it's not a yeah. I mean, I." think it's nonsense i mean they're that low to the ground just let them go i guess my question <laughs> at some is point. my question for you is at the at the ground that was looked at by well the referee was standing right there he thought it was okay the tmo did look at it and thought it was okay why do the judiciary now need to come in and intervene in that situation if it's already been checked off by the two officials or the three officials four officials the official well, they team obviously, they obviously believe the it was a mistake. And yeah. I mean, in a situation where there was a blatant um, indiscretion or piece of foul play that had been missed by the on-field team, we would want this to be happening um, post-match. We would want it to be pulled up. This, the problem that we're having here is that there's debate about whether or not this is uh, an actual indiscretion or whether it's just a bloody effective clear-out on a player close to, like, low to the ground. Um so I kind of have no issue with the general idea of something that's potentially foul play getting called up. Mm -hmm. Although I hear what you're saying that surely if it's been checked by everyone and it wasn't even a penalty worthy offense, it can't then escalate to a red card. Like 
surely everybody is at least on the same page. Yeah. There's not mm. that much of a discrepancy. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't remember. It might have been in Jeff Parks's article on the Raw today. He was saying, like, you can't have it both ways. You can't have video ref stopping the game and adjudicating on everything by video replay yeah. and then have it as a free-flowing spectacle. It's like, you know, you've got to pick your poison a little bit. Um and or you end up with the third, well, the 15, 20 minutes at stop four up at Suncorp the week before. <laughs> I love how that's becoming longer and longer in folklore. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it was actually like, what, seven minutes or something? It's like um, the Ewan McKenzie try in the World Cup final. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> that thing's got to be an 80 meter effort by now. Um, yeah. But I don't, yeah. Do you want the game stopped for a full blown forensic analysis of whether, Two per made contact with the head mid game, or you want to have a look at have a look at it during the week and just deal with it then. I mean, I guess the frustrating rather thing the latter. for me comes out of had the Reds pushed on to win this game, and that will be our next discussion on whether Fraser McWright was pulled back. Um, it definitely was, definitely was. Yeah, yeah I don't think no that's maybe. in doubt. Yep. <laughs> My question, yeah, well, there's a lot to go. Yeah, into so that the question play, is, yeah. should, should the Reds get go on and win that game? Fraser McRide scores that try, they win. You would say, without a shadow of a doubt, that Taniel Tupo was very instrumental in that victory through mm-hmm. getting them, keeping them in the contest, getting them penalties when they needed to. If they then come out and say that he should have been red carded and not been playing, or they should have been playing down for a man for twenty minutes. Um, that throws the result into disarray and, and throws things around. So we can't keep doing this as a game. We need to either trust our officials and say, that's fine, let's get on with it, or and don't bring it back up through the judiciary. It's just, it's not helping ourselves at all. Mm. Yeah, I think you've, yeah, I agree. Like, I can't, There's. I don't think there is a right answer to that, yeah. to be honest. It's sort of, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Um, yeah. That's right. Well, let's and move on just, to that that point. Did you yeah. have something on that, Ando? Or That's not? exactly what I was about to say. Okay, let's just move to. on to it. So, was Fraser McWright held back? Did the Brumbies cheat their way to victory? Did Rod Iona yeah. do the little yes, pull yeah. on the shorts? Yes. Yes to um, all of your questions. Next, yes. next question on that, though. Had he not been pulled, would he still have made it to the try line and got, when we see the outcome, as it hit the post and bounced away from him, would he have scored that try? No. It's no, much more likely. Out. I don't he's think it's a penalty likely. try. It should have been a yellow card, probably maybe even a red. Who knows? But um, it's not a red. I don't think it's nah. a red offence. <laughs> you can go and it's, well, it's pretty cynical. It's definitely cynical. It's a yellow card. I don't think it's a penalty try because you know, like you say, it hit the post. Does he pick it up cleanly? All that sort of stuff. Too many ifs. I mean, in that um, situation, I think by the law book, if you've committed foul play that has stopped someone from scoring a try. It doesn't it, have to be. It has guaranteed to be a clear try, try scoring opportunity. Like it yeah. has to be nearly certain. I think that's they. I know it's a rugby league ism to say that they need to be certain that they'd score, but I think it needs to be pretty close to. I, I think from you're from, over the line. You're falling over the line, and someone takes yeah. your head off, sort of situation. But I think like they say that the the fact that you've you've committed foul play, which has stopped the the try most likely being scored, they probably. And we wouldn't know. We don't know because they didn't go through that process. Um, but again, we go through this every time someone knocks a ball down deliberately. Yeah. What's the What's the answer though? Why was that not looked at? Why uh, do we think do that's you want not to, looked the, at? The uh, referee lost his marbles a little bit in, under the, <laughs> in the moment. I think he had his arm out prior to that, for like live without you don't get to hear what they say. I've seen the replay since, and he obviously didn't say advantage, but he did hang the arm out. And 
I know that everyone in the crowd was then going, well, hang on, what happened? And I think the Brumbies learnt a valuable lesson that you play the whistle. Yeah. But, yeah, it was – I think he just – the pressure maybe got to him a bit. And he yeah, lost in that situation. A bit of, lost the, his bearings a bit. The arm out. I can understand how that happened. So he was on the wrong side of the mall. He thought that it was collapsed by the Reds. Yeah. He's put his arm out and then he's got the call from the Timo saying – it's he's well, he's touchy, gone to ground yeah. legitimately like they've taken it to ground and so he's pulled his arm back, but yeah the Brumbies players did all think that they had advantage from that point mm. and and but still and it's like, made they threw that poor pass and then they kicked through to to carry on yeah, like, yeah. it's not like they yeah. did anything to take their foot off the the pedal at all I, yeah look I think he just genuinely there was a brain explosion. Yeah, and to be honest, the Reds had a chance to win it in like one of the final plays of the game, and um, Spencer Jeans hits Posami in the shoulder as opposed to putting it in a bread basket. So that they they had the opportunity to win the game. It's their own fault they didn't. Like, yes, he got pulled back. Yeah, definitely. Um, But like, there are going to be errors within a game that are missed by the officiating team. That's going to happen. Control what you can control. Mm -hmm. Spencer Jeans needs to hit his pass, and then they quite likely are in a really great attacking opportunity. Pasami maybe gets a bust for the try. Like, just do control what you can control. And um, if there are a whole bunch of Reds fans whinging about that, saying that's the reason why they lost, well, then they've got to just have a bit more perspective on the game <laughs> as a whole, rather than just looking at that one moment and blaming that oh, one man. moment. Yeah. There's no fun in that, though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It is, it is hard as a fan to sort of take your your team's hat off in those situations and right. get yeah. hard done by. We've been there. Oh, well, I was fuming at the no advantage because yeah. as clear as day, he, hang, he hung his arm out. And you're like, well, that wasn't like a half poke arm. It was right out there. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, without hearing, I mean, that'd be one thing I'd change for the game day. It'd be nice to hear what yeah. the ref's saying. I've, yeah. I've just watched back that pull and, like, it's blatant. Went to, he yeah. gets pulled back. I mean, um, an I don't, open side flanker should have, appreciate the uh you know the the the, 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 the bending of that line richie mccaw somewhere smiling at that that's (laughs) yeah like you got me good well done yeah yeah push the boundaries get away with it that's That's all part of the game well is there anything else we wanted to chat through on this game or should i move on to the waratahs and rebels i think we're going to need to keep going uh because we've got a couple more things we've got to get through let's keep moving so the second game was, or the third game of the round was played in Sydney at the SCG. Waratahs versus Rebels. The Waratahs did come away victorious 24-19. Not a great performance by the Waratahs. A much better performance, I would say, by the Rebels than we've seen in past weeks. Uh, Ando, we'll go to you as the resident Tars fan here. Were you impressed? Well, were you happy with the performance? Did you think the Waratahs should have won by more? Look, um, I was looking at a Facebook memory earlier today. You know how they pop up on your feed and it's like the last yep. couple of years. It, it went back to um, a, a memory I had last year that was just basically me publicly crying about <laughs> the fortunes and woes of the New South Wales Waratahs. And so but if I you wrote an article was on the Roar about, about it. <laughs> and how, I forgot about that, um, about 12 months ago, uh, the situation I was in compared to now where we're winning a game and I'm going, well, we had a good first half performance, but there was a lot to work on in the second. Mm. Like, I'm happy being in that position. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to where we were in 2021, um, I'll, I'll quite happily take a slightly mediocre win over a crushing record-breaking defeat. Uh, so all in all, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Okay. You're happy with the performance <laughs> by the boys? Well. Comparative to 2021, yeah. 
we compare your happiness with Darren Coleman, he's not happy if you've seen the press conference. And yeah, you will get yeah. to hear that later on in the podcast. But he was he was not happy after the game. Um, Joe, as the, I guess, impartial fan here, what were your thoughts about this game in general? Uh, it was good to see the Rebels. They got off to a pretty good start. They were playing a bit of footy and seemed to be playing with a bit of confidence. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Red, the Rebel, uh, the Tars are just were a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You could tell, like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for the. I just feel sorry for the Rebels, and I'm glad that they were giving Carter Gordon a hug because I think everyone wants to give him a hug at the moment. He's yeah, he a, was inconsolable after the oh, game. Oh, yeah, and it's. I just. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they just need some loving at the moment. The Rebels. They don't seem to be enjoying it much, and I mean, yeah. And that's the thing with the Rebels at the moment is it's still it's still those one-off things that they're just doing wrong, yeah. which a team like the Waratahs were able to pull off. And, and unfortunately, this week, it was Carter Gordon that did seem to be in it a little bit. So when and he came point. on for Matt Tamua, he was the one that, that fell off the tackle to Lalakai Fuketti, who just steams mm-hmm. through and gets gets the ball down untouched. Um, he doesn't kick the ball out. He kicks out on the full when they're three or four minutes from full time and they're only down by five points. Like Those, those things are really important and they need their 10 to be able to do those things. Um, but he's just so young and he does have that potential and they just need to stick with him. It's just yeah. unfortunate that the other Rebels players, I would say at the moment, aren't able to step up and, and sort of carry him and perform an, well enough around him for his little mistakes to be fixed. Ben Donaldson came off this week and uh, with a ankle or lower calf injury and it's come out today that he's out for three to four weeks. What do you think would be the best course of action for the Waratahs moving forward from this? Do you think they should bring Tane Edmund into 10? Um, or do they sh- or they leave him on the bench and shift Will Harrison from fullback back into 10? There's part of me that wants to see Will Harrison just go back into 10 um, because he's played really well there previously. He knows the team, knows the players around him. I think that'd be great. But he's also been pretty effective for the last two matches at 15, and we don't have a particularly effective 15 outside of him from an attacking mm-hmm. perspective. So but the idea of bringing Edmund, Edmund in um, at 10 and then having his regular support as a playmaker coming from uh, Will Harrison at 15, knowing that you don't have Jake Gordon leading the team around at nine as well, makes me, I'd personally be leaning towards Edmund at 10, just so he's got that extra distribution um, angle, outlet opportunity uh, that's available for the team. Because if you think about it, um, Parisi is not a particularly good distributor and Lalakai isn't a particularly good distributors so you really need somebody else in that back line that's going to be able to step in if if um edmed is out of the play yeah for sure and one of the things that we've been speaking about the last few weeks is the waratahs bench or their finishes if we go back Mm. to the old checker era uh just aren't seeming to have the impact that we require at super rugby level at the moment the the starters can get the team well enough ahead or into the contest or ahead on the scoreboard but once those reserves come on all sort of continuity falls away and we end up sort of going to pieces and not being able to finish off games. What do you think the Waratahs can do moving forward for the next few weeks to kind of counteract that issue? Um, Joe, do you have anything to say on this or should we throw that one back to Ando? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't know. Do they have anyone... They've got a few injuries that's obviously yeah, going to help if they come back to fill out, you know, your Gordons and the like. 
but I don't know. I don't know if there's much you can do. There's, I think they're, I, from what I understand, they're probably tapping out at the moment with hmm. the depth. I don't know what's behind them, to be honest. Uh, yeah. As to whether you play Edmund, Edmund or um, Harrison, I'd assume that they're going to both going to play. It's just going to be which number jersey they wear. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It would be my guess, um, unless they go left field. Unless Newsom makes a comeback in the 15. Or Marky Mark. Ooh, maybe. Oh, I feel Marky like James Ram's been got a little bit more time in the off season at 15 or in the preseason at in 15. Yep. So. Is he fit? Yeah, he's fit. He's just not getting selected yeah. at the moment. So. Um, so I think he's yeah. So one of the interesting things we heard from um, Darren Coleman earlier within the season was that the problem with the players on a bench like Ram and Nwanganituase is that they were in front running to be kind of starting for the team, but then they got injured at inopportune times, and the players that come in have done really well. So James Turner, before he was injured, was playing really well. Newsom has actually been pretty decent at yeah. fifteen. Peach has been good. Yeah, Peach has been yeah. decent as well. So. There's no clear player that's not performing that you take out, no. um, even if it's based upon potential of other players. I mean, potential means nothing unless I mean, it's other field demonstrated. Point. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things I wanted to say. When we're talking about impact from the bench, um, as much as I like Tetra Faulkner and Ruan Smith as like as people yeah. and as human beings, they're not they're not impact players. Yeah, they're players that will come on, make a tackle, hold up a scrum. Um, and like clear a rock like fairly effectively, but not at any great pace, not with any great kind of impact that's going to change a play. Uh, so I, the problem is in my mind is our, our reserve front row is just just quite weak in yeah, terms of not bench impact. To, yeah, so I, I'd personally like to be seeing um, Mahi Vailanu mm-hmm. coming on instead of Tom Horton because whilst Horton as much as we crap on him, he he hasn't been horrific. Yeah. He has not been horrific. He's only lost and, us two games. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But I just <laughs> think in terms of... <laughs> we lose those two games because of dodgy line out throws. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here. I'm trying to be nice. Um, in terms of like... The positive impacts, podcast, isn't it? Yeah, positive <laughs> podcast. Um, I'd, I'd just limit. like to see Vailan... Vai, sorry, Vailanu. Vai, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he's got a better running threat he does. than Horton. Even if he does have similar line-out issues, mm. at least he's a more damaging runner. And we need impact from the bench yep. within our front row. Lange Gleason's doing pretty well. Carlo Tizano well. is a bit of a, I don't know, he's okay. been a bit of a penalty magnet the last couple That's of games. Right. So When is Hooper back? Um, he's back training with the squad. Is he available this week? Well, the, the chat was that he was eyeing this week initially as coming back, so around six. But the talk's now shifted to... Round seven or eight when we play the Indrua, which is unfortunate because I was I'm I'm going to the game this weekend at Suncorp. I was really hoping to have Hooper in the back pocket to pull out at the fortress. Well, that that helps out your impact from the bench though when he comes back because mm. it pushes Gamble back to the bench. Yeah. And the way he's been playing, he'd make a massive impact coming on with twenty thirty to go. So yeah. I mean, and if I was a, DC, a I'd just be be telling Charlie Gamble at the moment just. Here's a ball. Practice your line-out throws, and you can pack <laughs> in it too. <laughs> oh, that's how you end your career. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to two. Um, yeah. 
Look, it's interesting because when you look at all the stats for this game, the Waratahs should have some level of positivity coming from it because they had 38% possession, 36% territory across the whole match. And yet they still came away with a win and they were a lot more efficient and effective with their entries into the 22. Mm-hmm. Although I don't, that's just my perception of it. I don't have those specific stats in front of me. Um, in terms of their set piece, they were okay with their scrum, okay with their line out. Um, they just in general like one of the things i'm really impressed with is jed holloway's choke tackles that he's doing his ability to kind of grab the player and hold them up and enforce them all turnover from that um the strength that he's showing there is brilliant so look there's some positives but Mm -hmm. our bench is the area for massive improvement that we need particularly within the uh, front row forwards yeah and we do need to fix that up come week what is it nine when we play uh the hurricanes down in melbourne and then shift into trans tasman so we will yep. be undone completely by the Kiwi sides if we don't final have... Final 20 minutes. Yeah, in the final think, 20 minutes of games. I think that's true for all teams at the moment. Mm. Um, I know Dan McKellar in his post-match comments was like basically saying the same thing, like that wasn't good enough. We've got a bigger challenges coming up and if we keep playing like that, we're going to get smoked. So, yep. um, yeah, it's the same for everyone. I think everyone's yeah, exactly. going to lift their game. Hopefully, I know for the Reds, like hopefully some of their troops are back by then. Mm. Fingers crossed for the Brumbies that no one else goes down before yeah. then. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, for the Tars, the same. I don't know. For the, and yeah, it's just that's what you hope that by that stage, everyone's on deck again. That's but, right. Yeah. Well, I think that shifts nicely into the last game of the round. I don't think we've got much to talk about this, and we want to get into the Wallaby squad announcement. So we would just say the, the Moana Pacifica got their second game of the competition, second or third. Second. second second game so they've played the Chiefs 59 to 12 Chiefs ran over that quite uh, comfortably good to see Moana Pacifica get a second game but not the result that I think we were all hoping for for them um, good to see uh, Christian Leleofano out oh, there running around again his pass for the um, yeah. I think it was the first the first of their tries was just absolutely brilliant a really nice cut out floater in front of the winger who just ran onto it with energy and pace it was brilliant to see it was classic yep it was it was a beautiful pass and i was like yeah cool love to have him back around um in australian rugby but happy with what he's doing over there it's great it's brilliant fantastic well we've got one question that's come in that's not really uh it doesn't necessarily fit into the games, but it does also doesn't fit into the lock uh, to the Wallaby squad announcement. So I might just throw it in now because I don't, I don't think we have enough other questions to say to do our own locker room section. So the question comes in on Facebook from Elijah Glass, and he asks thoughts on the con- inconsistency in refereeing between Australia and New Zealand and how that'll affect the Trans Tasman portion. Last year it took some adjusting, and it appears this year they haven't learned. Particularly notice the way Paul Williams refereed the ruck on Saturday was starkly different to any of the Australian games. Ando, any initial thoughts on that comment? I can't say that I paid enough attention to the Ruck refereeing to be able to comment, unfortunately. Um, so, Elijah, feel free to get in touch with us and um, kind of note maybe what you thought were the differences within there because I can't point anything out. Joey, anything for you? Uh, with regards to the refereeing of it, I'm not sure. I do feel like the Australian Rucks are messier. I don't know whether that's because we can test it more than the Kiwis do. They tend to like to let each other play a bit more and a bit more, um, I don't know, judicious in wet, how, how many people they send into rucks, whereas we tend to like to just go full bore <laughs> into them. Um, mm. I don't know whether they're refed any differently. I think, but I do think he's, 
that's not a bad point by Elijah. Like last year, there was an adjustment, adjusting period. And I do wonder if we are doing ourselves a bit of a disservice, not necessarily with the New Zealand teams, but later on when we start getting refed by Northern Hemisphere referees and stuff like that. Because I do remember there was quite a lot of chat about how the English referees were refereeing the breakdown during the rugby championship. Um, So maybe we need to be a bit more conscious of that and how that is being played outside of Australia. So, but I don't know. While it's making for close context and exciting footy, I'm not too fast. Yeah, good yep. call. Last question does come in from Krishan, and he sends this in on Instagram. He said, hey, boys, got a question for the locker room. Went to both games at Leichhardt last week and the SCG this week. Was a huge difference in atmosphere and attendance. With the new SFS completed by the end of the year, should or will the Tars abandon smaller venues like Leichhardt and Brookvale? Personally, he doesn't hope so, but wants to know what our thoughts are. Ando. What do you think? Um, look, I hope that there's a bit of a mix. Maybe they have one or two games at the, if we call them suburban venues, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest of them at the newly renovated stadium. That would make sense to me. Yeah. Um, it might well be a contractual thing where they are just simply playing all of their home games at the new stadium. Uh, and if that's the case, I'll understand it. Um, that's fine. You'll probably get more crowds there mm-hmm. just because um, so many Sydney fans are absolute snobs and won't travel anywhere outside of their, like, five kilometer radius Jeez, that's um, generous it's like two k's isn't it end of the driveway is too far mate i'm still in the same postcode from where i grew up so <laughs> i really shouldn't make any comment but yeah <laughs> i think um realistically i i think you're right Ando. i don't see the waratahs shifting away from the new sfs once it's built i think once they're in there they're in there and that's it for the foreseeable future but i think it's a cool idea if like we've seen this year in the new super rugby pacific competition they're bringing in like heritage round so I think it'd be really cool if on Heritage Round, whenever that's played, the Waratahs play that game at Leichhardt or Brookvale, one of the old school suburban venues in their Heritage kit, get the fans back up and close just for that one game. I think that would be really cool to see. But again, that's logistics and it's probably way above our pay grade that is non-existent. Shall we finish that off now and move into the Wallaby squad for 2022? I just make one final comment. I'm going to chuck a Mitch and make one final comment for the Chiefs. I mean, I do it so often, so I probably you really do. I just figured that we have basically made one singular comment about that game, which was that Christian Leofano made a good cutout pass. That's literally our analysis or commentary on the game. The only thing I saw. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, so I thought I'd just quickly jump in. Um, Look, I think Moana at a lot of times. they were able to front up really well and kind of just general defense around the ruck. But as soon as the Chiefs started to spread it wide, they either didn't have the energy, which comes from repetitive match fitness, or they didn't have the structures and the connections to enable them to effectively have some width defense or some defense within that kind of that that seam between the kind of loose forwards and the back line. And so the Chiefs were just able to really effectively exploit that. And look, this was an absolute roll over from the uh from moana but i think that they really will get better their first hit out was better than a force um was better than a druas first hit out and i'm expecting moana to really really step up but they're just going to get smashed when it comes to them having to play multiple games in a short period of time if they're going to catch up and get all their games completed before the end of the season. Yeah, and I will so, say on that point too, Ando, like you mentioned, that they were, were, were like 
they weren't in the game that they were but they're close but it didn't blow out until like the 65th or 70th minute that's when the Chiefs yeah. started to really pile points on and the score blew out so the fact that they're holding that close for that long to the New Zealand teams and their first game was against the uh, realistically a B, a B side Crusaders team that rested all their All Blacks and, and gave a few guys yeah. debuts. Yeah. This was a pretty full strength Chiefs side as well. Chiefs so team. the fact that yep. they, for the most part, stuck with them for 65 minutes, I think is a big props to them. Yep, I would agree with that. Anyway, I feel like we've now at least commented on the game. So, yeah, let's go chat about the Wallabies now. All right, let's get in the Wallabies. Let's go. And it is the loveliest time of year when the Wallaby squad is announced and everybody gets to either cheer or cry about the inclusion or lack of inclusion of their favourite players. Why, oh, why are there only three force players in the Wallaby squad? Why, oh, why do the Waratahs have more players than the Reds who won Super AU last year? Only time will tell or Dave Rennie if you get to ask him these questions. But since you don't have time or Dave Rennie, we're going to talk to you about it and tell you all the reasons why the Force only have three players in the Wallaby squad. So on that note, look, I'm not going to go through and read every single player, but I will say that there are 15 Brumbies, 10 Tars, 8 Reds, 4 Rebels, 3 Force um, Force players. And why don't we just jump straight into the questions that have come in from the locker room and then we'll discuss our thoughts and ideas as these questions kind of um, lead us into it. But Sheepy asks us on Twitter, what do the Reds need to do to get more Wallaby squad selections than Tars? I'll answer that one. It's really simple. Be based in New South Wales. There you go. Done. <laughs> or be born right. in New South Wales. Yeah, be born or be based. Works for Harry Wilson. Yeah, or, exactly. Or they could just hire the Reds forwards coach to be the Wallabies forwards coach because I think that's worked for the Brumbies. Yeah, it oh, that's is. not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. It is an interesting thing, though. But the the thing I love to quote within these points, and we will get to this and and repeat this throughout the throughout our chat about the Wallabies, is you got to follow Cocker's law. So Tim Cocker from the Egg Chasers Rugby podcast, a British podcast, um, put forward this law that if you're going to complain about someone not being included in the squad, you need to be able to say who you'll take out and why. Okay. So what I want to say is, well. Who out of the fit and available Reds players would you have in this squad? And then who would you take them out for? Um, for me, maybe Liam Wright, but he's had a really inter inter injury interrupted 2021 and has only just come back from injury for 2022. Can anybody think of another Reds player that maybe is deserving of a spot? Who do you take out though? Oh, I'm sorry. That was just a player. I'm not saying he should be in. Um, um, the so obvious okay. one that everyone's throwing out Sarah Uru, who's obviously been in exceptional form for Queensland. Um, mm -hmm. But again, who do you take out? I think he's probably contesting the spot for that Swinton and Rob Leota fill within the team. Yep. And I, they've got the runs on the board at international level. And I think 18 months out from a World Cup, I think incumbency has got to start counting for something as we build a potential squad to go into that competition. Unfortunately, yep. I mean, in saying that though, if Leota's not back before the end of Super Rugby and Uru is still playing the house down, I mean, by all means, he's going to get the jersey. I'd say, but yep. 
it's at this stage. Yeah, Sarah Uru is an interesting one for me personally because I don't hate that he's not included. I actually would love to see him play for Fiji and I think he'll have a better impact and potentially a longer international career if he's picked for Fiji. Um, we have back row depth through the ringer. We've got players that we can throw in and and select that will do a serviceable job at that six position. Um, he... Like Lockie Swinton, for example, gets picked. If he doesn't get picked for the Wallabies, he doesn't have anything else to fall back on. Sarah Uru can play for the Fiji should he not get selected for the Wallabies. I just think it would be fantastic for Fiji um, and for Sarah Uru individually to be playing for Fiji, and I would not hate for that to happen. Unpopular opinion coming out here. Um, Saru Uru has only been playing particularly well for like two or three games. Why are yeah, people yeah, saying he should be a Wallaby? Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. We, we talk about, well, Morgs talks about body work and therefore everybody else talks about it. Um, but you need to have that sustained performance yeah. over a long period of time. And yeah. he's been decent. He's been decent for a, a couple of seasons now, but he's only been playing the house down for two matches. Yeah. Um, and whilst think, being, yeah, yeah. He'd be in everyone's form 15 at yeah, the moment. Yeah. 100%. 100%. 100%. But yeah, Rob Leota played against the Springboks last year and tore the doors off it. So, I yeah. mean, it's a bit different, yeah. you know. And for example, like we could be arguing that from an attacking point of view, someone like um, Will Harris should be getting at least be a part of the conversation. But then you go, Harry Wilson, very justifiably, has been a better player across all aspects of his game throughout this season. And he's taken that step up like people were asking him to and hoping he would in 2022. So he's doing it. He's doing it consistently week in, week out. Um, what about Lukan Salakaioto for you, Mitch? Is he someone that's pretty unlucky to be missing out considering nope. he was starting the captaincy nope. at the Reds? Nope, no. nope. He's signed Unpack overseas that. for next year, so he's he's gone in my he's book. De he's like, dead to you. Yeah. The World Cup's next year. He's not going to be playing in Australia for in 2023. There's no chance Chop. he's going to get selected. I think that's... How come other... Nick Frost is selected then? Yeah, that's Has Nick Frost one. actually signed? Or is he like Rob Liotta last year and it's like, let's get him in here and see if we can put the pressure on him to stay? I actually read a really interesting article and I think... I'm going to say it's on the Raw, but it might have actually been... Nathan Williamson um, on rugby.com.au. But anyway, it was saying that this could be tactics from Rob Penny. Uh, sorry, not Rob Penny. <laughs> I say that now. Um, <laughs> Dave, Rennie. Dave Rennie. It's got the ring to it. Uh, this could be tactics like a long game um, by Dave Rennie by picking Nick Frost now and, and selecting him or t uh, giving him a test cap early on this year so that when he goes to Japan next year, they have a rule in Japan, in, in League One, where he's going, that they can only have two international test or capped players on the field at one time or in a match day 23. And so by him being capped, when he signed, he wasn't capped. When he now is signed, it becomes a headache for them and it makes him less desirable because they can't play him as often when it's a Chess team that has other uh, international players. So he was suggesting that maybe he picked him for that so that he goes over there, doesn't play as much footy as he probably would have if he stayed home and comes home in 2024. Um, I don't know if that will happen and if that is actually why the reason was, but it's interesting. I'm all for it. Uh, that's uh, some that's galaxy brain from Dave Rennie if that's what's actually happening. I'm all for that. Yeah, that's, well, that's great theory. <laughs> 
Doing I think a the quick other, look the other one other point I just wanted to make around this whole Wallaby squad is we just we need to realize that we are a year out from the World Cup now, oh, yeah. and yeah. Dave Rennie is picking this squad as probably ninety five percent of these players will make the World Cup or the World Cup squad bar the yeah. internationals that he can bring in or if they, I mean this is a forty man squad that will what is a World Cup squad is it forty men. <laughs> 31, isn't 31, it? 31, so yeah, there's a few players that won't make it. But if we're looking at players like Sarah as we said, who's played a few great games of Super Rugby Pacific this year, he's not been in He's not been in talks previously. We don't yeah. want to be bringing in players who don't have that cohesion and that knowledge and that um, just the experience within the Wallaby environment new in 2022 when we're moving into a World Cup year next year. Yeah, 100%. Let's keep on going then. Uh, so... Gus at the Robusto has asked, we'll probably ask this, but who should have made the squad and who do you take out for that person? Um, for me, the fact that Ryan Ordingen is in there means that I'm happy with the squad. So there's no <laughs> one I would have removed and there's no one I would have added. Um, I did get into a bit of a, um, I'm not sure if it's like a Twitter argument, but sometimes I just get really confused with people. Thank right? you for taking ownership of this, Ando. I didn't want yeah. people to think it was me. It was on the pod no, account. No, it was on the pod account, but I was just claiming it. Um, I get confused when people just have these completely preconceived notions of players and think that they're bad and so therefore they should never play for the Wallabies again or be in a squad ever again. And I'm like, so this, a great example of that is in Jake Gordon and Tom Banks, right? So there was um, a conversation going on about Tom Banks and whether or not he should even be in the squad because of some of his poor performances in the front series. And I'm like, literally who else is there at 15 who's in form? And right by that now logic, in you Australian don't include Noel Alessio. Yeah, like Noel Alessio is not playing that well this season. Um, he's not having a particularly good season, but he still stays in the squad because he's got runs on the board and he's kind of the uh, incumbent backup, if that makes sense. Um, there was also the conversation about Jake Gordon not deserving a place in a squad. And I'm like, he's one of the form scrum halves of the last two years of Super Rugby, like Australian Super Rugby. How do you not have him in a 40-man squad? Mm. And so, yeah, it's just... You can also it's... pass from left to right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean... Unlike that's another scrum half in Super Yeah, Box King. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so just with, like, take but them. genuinely on that point, one of the things I just love to see more within these announcements is people taking a bit of a broader perspective rather than just having someone they love or someone they hate. So like, yeah, okay. I've got a fanboy crush on Ryan Lonergan. That's fine. Um, but that's mostly for the memes rather than reality by now. And, um, I, I just, you know, I guess it's kind of fun. I, I love questioning people and pointing on those things. Yeah. So. On this note, like, do we think Reese Hodge is pretty lucky to be in a team considering his form so far this season? Or is it a case of, well, he's an incumbent and who else would have taken his spot? That's 100% it. It's yes, on form, he's probably lucky to be here, but it's not a merit squad based on the best players this season necessarily. Yep. He's won, yeah, he's, how many test matches has Reese Hodge now played? Yeah, like, I'd feel I a hell of a lot like more 30 something. But yeah, I mean, I feel a lot more confident if in a pinch we had to send Reese Hodge out there, even underprepared with to play with 30 tests behind him, then I don't know. I don't even know who 51, the... Who the 51. 51. There you go. Yeah. Like, it's heaps. Particularly his versatility. Like when you start taking in all the factors that come with Reese Hodge, it's, I don't know, I've just got a lot more comfort with him being in there. That's why he's there. 
Like yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, exactly like how can how could Dave Rennie realistically not include him in a Wallaby yeah. squad? Yeah, he's yeah. probably yeah. the only player in Australian rugby at the moment that could be maybe the twenty fourth or twenty fifth man when yeah. your halfback goes down injured in warm up and uh, your fly half. Sorry, not he. Probably, well, I mean, he could yeah. play nine. He no, probably could play nine, but tall. no, he too won't. <laughs> um, if your fly half goes down injured, yeah. he could slot in, or your fullback goes down injured. There's not one. Like, there's probably no one 12, else. 13, 11 to yeah. fifteen in yeah. Australian rugby 10 to 15. who we could throw in yeah. in that position and be like, okay, we don't have Isaiah Parisi for this game, but Reese Hodge is making do because he's in the squad. If he wasn't there and we had to put someone else in, like Jordan Pattaya, for example, at thirteen, I think things would just fall apart. And I, I mean, let alone in the squad, he'll be in the match day twenty three. Yep. Every test this uh, that is available this season, I dare say, just for that reason, mm-hmm. um, form or no form, it's like I think his versatility is that good, and he'll come good. He's t- way too good of a player for this to keep happening. See, one of one of the really contentious um, issues here, and it kind of leads us into a Brumbies and Force conversation, <sighs> is why is Caden Neville in the squad ahead of Fergus Lee Warner? And I think when you look at when you look at the entirety of the force team and think of who they've got within it, you so you've got um, Felidi Katu, who I think is a great shout. He's been the form hooker of the competition, even if he's dropped off the last week or so. Um, but he's he's been consistently good, at least across the first three games. Um, you've got Isaac Rodder as well. Yep, good call. Definitely deserving of it. Tony Pulu is kind of the replacement for Andy Muirhead, I think. It's kind of direct swap like, for Andy Muirhead. Yeah. And I like that one better, yeah. to be honest. I think Pulu offers more for test footy than Andy does. As yeah. much as I love Andy, he's a phenomenal yeah. player, but I think Pulu is more suited for test footy. And so then we get into the question of, well, who else from the four squad realistically should be in this? Fines Oluwas is too young, too raw. No way. Not yet. Give him, give him um, after this World Cup cycle. Yes, he'll definitely be in the conversation. Um, who else are we looking at? Maybe Tom Robertson, maybe potentially. Maybe Tim Anstey. Potentially. Yeah, Anstey, maybe. Anstey but falls really, into the Uru category, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And his form this season hasn't been great. He had a few really oh. good moments last year, and he he was great and deserved his um, the all the raps that were given about him. But now let's get back to Fergus Lee Warner. Fergus Lee Warner, in my opinion, is better than Caden Neville. So why isn't he there? Joe, you're the Brumbies fan. Tell me why I'm wrong. I don't know if you're wrong. Uh, Caden Neville, I, I actually don't know without the figures in front of me, but I sh- I, he looks a bigger body. So I, I think that that counts for something. There's also, this is where the, the Brumbies coach is the forwards coach for the Wallabies. <laughs> that is going to count for something because it's, the same system. I assume they're running a very similar system in both thing in both categories. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, Neville was going to play against France last year. He got hurt, um, and that maybe not be a very good reason, but it's another reason. Um, but I think yeah, it's probably got to do with the fact that he's an experienced player. He's played around the world. He's done a good job for the Brumbies. He knows that line-out system very well. He can run that line-out system. Is he going to be in the match day 23 against England in come July? Probably not, unless everyone falls over. But then if everyone does fall over, he's probably the one lock in the country that's ready to walk in and run that system without having actually played in it in an international game. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think um, he's – Um, I think personally- And that's literally like five people falling over probably before he gets there. Like, <laughs> Yep. Yeah, but it's, you know, that's the case is that he's probably, they trust him to do that. I think he's selected on the cohesion theory 
of yeah. playing as many Brumbies forwards as possible um, that know the system, know the mall calls, know the lineouts, uh, so that you have that base of a Brumbies team, which is predominantly the players who played the most Super Rugby together. You base it in there. You can bring in uh, other players like Angus Bell off the bench, Taniela Tupo off the bench, if we so wish. But the base and the core pack is Brumbies um, because that is the rock that uh, Dan McKellar has been building for... How long has he been in the Brumbies now? Six years? Oh, even long, like, like, as head longer coach? Longer with... Yeah, as head coach since... Oh, he took over from Larkham when Larkham left after the 2015 World. Yeah, was it 2016? So, yeah, so it's six years probably yeah, as head so coach. So he's been building this, and this he was, four yeah. pack at the Brumbies. He's now bringing that into the Wallabies. Yeah, mm. I think there's merit in that. I, mm. Yeah, I I mean, we're arguing over the what the sixth lock, and that's not <laughs> including Rory Arnold and Will Skelton in yeah. the depth chart. Like, it's, yeah. it's this is kind of a bit, you know, six, one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, it doesn't really make much difference as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, the locks when we pick for England are going to probably be Isaac Rodder and Matt Phillip with Darcy Swain on the bench, like, unless Rory Arnold's playing. And then... Yep. Darcy probably drops out. So yep. it's surprise. I think it's, real, it's interesting because when we look at it from that perspective of the um, Brumby's focus, the time in the environment, the ability to step in if a semi-disaster happens, it makes sense that Cater Neville's in that team, in that squad. Uh, but if you look purely on performance and purely on the stats from the last couple of seasons, like Cater Neville's barely played this season. He's had one match for 48 minutes. Um, like... It, the Fergus Lee Warner is killing it at the moment. He's got 66 to 68 tackles for 97% success. He's uh, scored a try, 60 runs across the matches, 116 run metres, which for the kind of lock is pretty decent. Um, he's only had two penalties or and two handling errors across every uh, game that he's played so far. And he's played every single minute of every single game that he's been available for. So, look, I think I understand where Force fans are coming from, that Fergus Lee Warner is probably, from a stats perspective, deserving. But when you're looking at the whole team approach, like you were saying, Joe, I do understand. Um, moving on now, I think we do have a few other questions that we'll kind of finish up with. So this kind of speaks to, from Jock Cudmore, um, what we were just discussing. So, quote, I read, a, I read a great article on decoding squad. In the article, they talk about how England play footy. Seems Brumbies have the best style to combat England. Mauling and set piece, so might explain a large number of selected thoughts. I think we've just spoken to that. Mm. Really? Yep. Um, so uh, thanks, Jock. That was a good article. And thanks for the link on that. Um, Simon Goff, does Pete Simon beat Will Harris for the squad spot because of his versatility is 678 cover or because he's already been in a Wellby setup? It's certainly not because he's played better in 2022. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. Uh, Mitch, quickly, let's go on. This I one. just think that Pete Simon has been playing at this level and this well for three years now for the, for the Brums. And Will Harris, this is his breakout year. So... It, it makes no sense to, in my mind, sorry, it makes no sense in my mind to select Will Harris over Pete Samu. Um, yep. Also, Will Harris doesn't tuck his jersey in, and that's like, well, that's a, there's a no massive way he can get issue. selected mm-hmm. doing that. Um, yeah, both on right, both counts there. It's his versatility and the fact he's already been there. Plus, I'm pretty sure Pete's being, I'd say, penciled into that reserve back rower spot for the Wallabies yep. because of that versatility and because he's so dynamic coming on late he's your perfect back row come on the game starts opening up 
he's excellent in the wide channels with his passing. I know people like to call him a seagull, but that's what he's very good at. Um, blame the Crusaders, they taught him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think he came on against the Springboks at the Gold Coast last year and made a massive difference mm. up through the middle of the field, offloads with Karebi, just interchanging a passing out in that back line. It's yep. a big factor. And Will Harris is having a great season, but he's probably a bit like Nick Frost, as good as they're both going this year. Their 2024 build for 2027s, not yeah. um, 2023 World Cup squad members, probably. 100%. 100%. And then final question here from Simon Goff. Also, I'd hope the two Joshes, Nasser and Fluke, um, might make it as bolters, both big rugby brains and futures with the right development. Do you think this is the only 40 who'll be considered for Rugby World Cup in France? Yeah, basically. I think it will be the vast majority of the players who are selected for the World Cup. Um, I don't think Nasser and Fluke should be near the squad yet. Both of them are too raw and, look, they need to have the consistent impact and performance over a super, at least a full Super Rugby season before they're in this conversation. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy with them not being there at this point, although they're both uh, definitely talents and it's great that the Reds have them. Uh, and aside from overseas players and a few players come back from injury, I don't think we're going to see many other significant changes to this squad moving forward i think this is basically it and now you just whittle down players from here yep and i mean it's not that important anyway it's only school photo camp so yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um okay well team we do need to finish up there because we have been i mean we were trying to do a quick pod tonight but it seems like we've just enjoyed each other's company too much <laughs> and just chatted on uh so joe thank you so much for coming on mate how did it feel being on your first pod with us Oh, it was really enjoyable. I could talk about rugby all night. So, yeah, have happy to come back anytime. You're short. So, yeah, awesome. thank you. Good, mate. Thanks, Mitch. Again, thanks for having you on, my friend. Cheers. And uh, enjoy your time up in a sunny coast. Yep. And we'll be at Suncorp on Saturday evening. So, if you are there, do look out for the pick and drive rugby hat that I will have on and do come say hi. Might send a tweet or something out to see to let everyone know where I'm sitting or standing or however it works. But, are you uh, going we'll to bribe be... the Caxton? Yeah, or the Caxton afterwards or before. We'll see how it goes. And, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, guys, we need to really quickly get off the pod right now because Rev has just told us that the scores for round five of the tipping competition of our fantasy comp are out. So I need to find out if uh, I beat Mitch or if he beat me. So let's go. Pretty sure Ladies and you. gentlemen, have a wonderful week. I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Yeah, um, yeah, scrappy it was. It's sort of mixed emotions. It was, uh, it's good to be in a winning change room, and I want the boys to enjoy the wins. And yeah, there's a little bit of silverware with it, which is it's what you chase in footy. So that was great. But yeah, it was definitely well short of our best performance, both in quality and just our intensity. And a few of our effort areas weren't great. Um, it looked a bit like we didn't want to win the game, and then. They couldn't win the game. <laughs> they kicked shooting themselves in the foot to, to win the game in that second half. So, yeah, bittersweet, frustrated uh, in the performance, but happy with the result. Take confidence out of knowing that there's still plenty of improvement and as you said yourself, Warren, you guys are below standards. Are you still somehow down the ladder once again, right now? Yeah, yeah, you are. I uh, can't see that just yet because I'm still a bit... 
a bit grumpy about the performance, but because now we're, we've got to take our game to the next level. Like it's pretty much a, a given that we're going to compete and we're going to not quit and we're going to stay in the fight. That, that, that team's done it now eight games since I've been here and they, they rip in. So now we just we just got to do things better. We just got to be more accurate and yeah. And we had some pressures we hadn't faced before, like our line out battle for the first time this year. That was a different dynamic. Lost the lock uh, before half time, lost belly at half time, lost Dono just after half time. So you take out a line out jumper, your scrummager and your quarterback, it's sort of well, it clearly it just derailed us a bit in our performance. Yeah, a bit. First impressions are that Cridgy was a concussion, so if he if he is symptom free and all that, he should turn around. Belly just had back spasms, so uh, the last scrum before half time, he's back. So, so that'll be a bit of wait and see, but. I'm thinking positive on that, um, and Don will be a few weeks. He's got a, a muscle strain in his calf, so we've got to get him wait and see how bad that is. But yeah, he'll uh, he'll have to take some time off by the look of it. So we've been out for a couple of weeks, and it's been nice to see Will Harrison slot into that ten, which has been really take over particularly from the start of the second half. That passing use of the game. Yeah, well, obviously it's Will's preferred position. He, he's wanted a shot at that. Um, he did some good things. Uh, did some things that frustrated me a bit. We missed a few touchline kicks and, and a couple of things. So there's always teething problems when you change your, your quarterback, I guess. Just how he moves the team around, how he communicates with it uh, is, is a little different. So, um, yeah, we, we'll do okay. Um, we'll see. We'll assess on Monday where we go next. think I've been coaching long enough so I think you always have as much as you want to be up and close to your peak every game uh, you're gonna have a flat day mentally I probably didn't deliver my best pre-game and and do enough around the motivational side of things because I just thought we looked a little demotivated to be honest and then we scored a couple of easy tries and we sort of thought we could canter through um, yeah, that's, that's two weeks in a row where we should have, I thought, won a bit more comfortably than we did. So um, we've definitely got to improve that aspect. Jed, how are your thoughts about your Oh look, it's it's very much a team effort. If if I don't get those windows, if other guys aren't doing their job around our mall, and, and it's something that we've we've done really well all year. Um, you know, Pauliasi has done a really good job of being really clear around our roles and really backed us in executing that. So it's a team effort there. I'm just the lucky one to get my hands on the ball towards the end. Um, yeah, similar to what DC said, it's a, it's a weird feeling um, coming out of there. You know, we we struggled to execute throughout that whole game, line out especially, which is which is super frustrating for me. But um, you know, good teams win ugly. But as DC said, if we're we're going to take that next level, next next step, um, we need to execute better there.
Oh, it's a, it's a massive privilege for me. Um, it's something that I cherish a lot. Um, and yeah, to get the reaction from the lads and to, to get two wins um, is, is really nice. But uh, Undefeated, Skip. <laughs> undefeated, yeah. <laughs> but um, as DC said, you know, like our motivation was probably a bit down. So that, that's kind of on me as well as, as a leader. I need to be better there. So um, yeah, we'll look at it. We'll look at it Monday and, and see where we can improve because Drew are rolling at the moment. So we've got to front up. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I think the stats were good. You know, I think we played some good rugby tonight. You know, it's starting to come, and I think our attack's starting to show some of the offloads, some of the meters carried. Um, unfortunately, I think we led in two soft tries early. You know, and that hurts us. You know, coming back. But yeah, I think um, I think maybe it's again. You know, we're just not finishing off some of those opportunities. We've got to look at to start really building pressure on opposition. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually very positive from that result. If I look at those things and what's went well for us, I can see us building a, a good game in the rugby we want to play. Yeah, I mean we've we've got a very good leadership group there, you know, and everybody's growing in that space, and the leadership group are owning that, you know, they uh, they had a good look at themselves this week and said, look, what we got to do is actually play well, and I think they were exceptional today, you know, and uh, from that that energy starts to build into everybody around them, and I think that's uh, that's important. So, look, the rugby we want to play is starting to come, you know, the states are there. We've got to just. Um, keep growing on that and keep believing you know it's a funny thing belief but if you just stop believing then you fall into a big hole and we haven't stopped believing so we'll just keep going at that. Yeah definitely it was um, I think the way we're playing right now is we're building we're a team that builds pressure we're not going to score quick easy tries and you know, that's something that we can embrace. I think the forward pack are a really gritty group of guys, um, particularly some of the young guys who have come through. I think particularly impressed with Josh Cannon up against you know, some experienced second rowers. Um, defensive line-out wise, attacking line-out wise, he did really well. And so there's some really positive things coming through. Uh, I thought attacking wise we built phases a bit better, but again, to Footy's point, um, you know, if we're going to give a first phase try or a, a couple quick tries, um, it's probably going to take us 10-15 minutes to try to get back to that parity and so if we're going to build pressure we've also got to prevent the pressure valve just being released too quickly. Does that just come from just simple defensive mistakes that you can fix? Is it just sort of maybe a system error? Are we going to be able to say we'll be kind of at the Obviously I'll probably have to look at it because uh, I think the first one came off the first phase from a scrum so as you can imagine my uh, my eyes are pretty preoccupied um, but yeah probably just came down to one-on-one -on -one tackles which Individual, uh, sorry, individual tackle tech, which can be easily fixed, and I think guys are genuinely taking the time to put, you know, into those little things. Um, guys are staying behind training, guys are coming in early, so there's no lack of effort. Obviously, when you're in the moment, there's that execution piece, and that's definitely going to come over time, particularly with a, a younger, less experienced group. So, you know, performances like this, where we're genuinely in the fight for the whole game. Um, against a team that was flying quite high with a lot of confidence is something we can definitely build upon. No, not too far now. You know, we, we're ticking along. So Lockie Anderson 
uh, he'll be coming you know, back pretty soon. Rob Leotz is doing really well and we're getting a lot of support from the Wallaby staff as well there to rehab him. Pone Farmasuli is coming along, uh, Trevor Jose is coming along. So, you know, it's a different energy. You know, Josh Kemeny, even though he had a bad knee rupture, he's not far off now. And I know exactly those five will be waiting for me Monday morning saying, pick me, pick me. So the energy's coming and, and we're pretty excited for those guys. But like Michael said, the youngsters are getting blooded out here. It's only going to be good for the club going forward. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, that's love and care, you know. Like it takes it personally, and um, yeah, that, it's not just Carter, right? It's all of us, and uh, he'll be alright. We'll make sure we look after him. Carter's going to be a big, big plot piece of this club going forward, so no problem. Well, that's a fast start. <laughs> so we uh, we're after a fast start. Lenny, same thing, same as Carter. Glenn's going to be absolutely great for this club going forward. You know, he's pretty big boots to fall off to Marika left, but he he wants to fill them, and uh, he puts a lot of work and a lot of effort in. So left-footed, you know, he's come through the system, and um, yeah, he's just going to get better and better. So. Yeah, I think it's just time, Rodney. You know, it's just time, like anything. You know, we want these guys to play as much as possible. Um, we've had a few niggles in the backs as well. So Lucas Ripley and Young Tonomapia and Stacey Ely, they haven't built that combination just yet, and that's a crucial position 13. And that'll give Matt a lot of confidence when he knows the guys outside him. But I think Ray Nu, who's doing exceptionally well, and I think Matt did really well today. You know, unfortunately he got a bit of a knock, and he came back and he showed some character to kick the goals and. Yeah, so I think, like anything, we know with time we're going to build these combinations.